1: this roast beef welcome back gang this is the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema episode 626 i am large william across the border from me is our good pal in the great state of massachusetts matt welcome back how's it going man good to be back it's going marvelous sammy is not with us he will be soon it's funny you know he's Decided to, as the president of the Don the Rock Morocco fan club, he's been uh, curating a collection over in Malmo, Sweden, of uh, Morocco's exploits, uh, his his trunks that he's worn, uh, boots. So he's been curating quite the show over there in Malmo. So we're hoping he's back soon, but nonetheless, uh, good luck in that neck of the woods, Sammy. A
0: lot of pile driving involved in that pursuit, from what I understand. A lot of baby oil, a lot of pile of
1: driving, a lot, a lot of, of Hawaiian shirts, shirts. Yep, Hawaiian shirts. No doubt. Those are all things that's, that those are all in his wheelhouse. So that should should go off without a hitch. He was the man for the job. He was the he was the man for the job. That's right. That's right. Uh, so welcome back, everyone. No Murder March is rolling on, and rolling on is probably an appropriate term considering the film that we're covering this week. Uh, I chose to see a film that I'd never seen, and it it just felt very appropriate for No Murder March unless David Lynch decided to throw us a curveball at some point in the film, which you can throw a curveball or two. Uh, I picked his 1999 film, uh, The Straight Story. So we're going to talk about that in a little bit here. Uh, But before we do that, Matt, I trust everything is well in your neck of the woods.
0: Things are are good. We had some um, snow early this week, fairly understated weather event, but uh, within a couple days everything had melted away as if it had never happened. So
1: um, that's the way it goes here and uh, yeah, we're looking forward to the spring. It's Monday, I think, by the time this episode comes out on the first day of spring. Oh, perfect timing perfect timing yeah no i'm i'm with you i feel your pain I, I feel like this winter for us was not to bore everyone too much or digress with the weather talk but being in places like uh you know the eastern part of the united states or in canada uh weather factors in quite a bit and it can gnarl things up and we're almost at the finish line this was a pretty modest winter but Mm-hmm. I'm feeling this back nine or this back three holes here, so to speak, right? It just like, okay, come on, let's go. Yep. We're so close. Come on. Oh, so let's just drag ourselves across the finish line. So we're almost there. Thank goodness. Um,
0: everything else is good. Yeah. Things are, things are great. Uh, very busy, but very good.
1: Yes. You are a busy bee, which is a good thing we can do. We'll talk about that at some point, uh, sometime in the future. Um, There's a little teaser for everyone. (laughs) Um, So what have you watched lately, sir? Yeah, I have a few um, that I can speak
0: to briefly. Um, So this is one that uh, Criterion had put out on DVD. I don't know how long ago, but it was always one that hung around in my watch list and I just never got to it. Um, that said, uh, I am a Criterion channel subscriber, so when I saw it was there, I jumped at the chance to watch 1973's Spirit of the Beehive.
1: Oh my God, I love this film so much. Yeah, this is, this is
0: outstanding. And I don't think, despite how outstanding it is, I don't think that this particular style of filmmaking is going to be for everyone. This is very slow cinema. Correct. Would you disagree? No, I would agree with you. Yeah, not a lot goes on in this film. There's not a lot of dialogue. There's not a ton of story beats. It's effectively a mood piece, but it's a really effective one. So it's about two adolescent girls living in rural spain after the spanish civil war they see the film frankenstein for the first time and you see during the course of the film the different ways that that film and the notion of myth making i guess reflects in their lives but it's it's really good so if you can get your hands on it uh i don't think it has seen a like a high def uh physical media upgrade i think it's only on criterion dvd but i could be wrong about that
1: it's it's one that i only saw probably with i feel like within the past few years but times just hurtling by so it could have been like past handful or so i was really i really really dug it like you said it's uh, it's a very introspective film. I think it also looks at some of the questions children ask when they become aware of death and mm-hmm. um, just mortality it's and you know who I thought of when I watched this was I had to think that Guillermo del Toro is a huge fan of this one. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. We talked about Guillermo last week, but I yeah. think uh I do think this has to be in his wheelhouse as a as an
1: influence. Oh yeah, it's a really good one. It's it's one yeah you gotta you gotta be in the mood. You can't be just kind of checking your phone. You gotta kind of mm-hmm. absorb you you know, sort of absorb it. But and I, I really love this one. It's it's very very good. Yeah, it, it is.
0: Switching gears a little bit. This is one that I threw on because always trying to get more women filmmakers in the watch list yes. on the roadmap. So this is one that. Is directed by teresa wu this is golden era 1980s hong kong action filmmaking within the girls with guns genre it sparked a trilogy and this is 1987's iron angels yes aka fighting madam aka angels i think <laughs> really insane um Great action sequences, great stunt work. Moon Lee is in this one. This is kind of like a ensemble, almost uh, Charlie's Angels inspired story. And um, Yukari Oshima has a pretty good turn as the film's main villainess. But oh. Yeah, this is this was really good. I I lament that. Teresa Wu did not do more because other than the three Iron Angels films with which she was involved as a either director or co-director, I think she had done two films before the first Iron Angels. And I think she came to the States for a very brief run. I think she was involved with this uh, children's science fiction fantasy film chameleons and she also wrote believe it or not or perhaps co-wrote college kickboxers which is one that we i think covered uh some years back or you guys covered it
1: oh man yeah and i'd seen that i was just looking her up as you were saying that and yeah she should have worked more a lot of those hong kong filmmakers were so prolific and to put it mm-hmm. that she did uh as and and to do it as well as she did it's a shame that she didn't get more work and it's a shame you know i don't know if i want to lament that she didn't get stateside more but yeah uh, because that can kind of um hamper the ability or the the dampen the creative outlet that uh directors have when they come here uh to work stateside but Yeah, she will always have college kickboxers and the Iron Angels trilogy. Interestingly, this other one that she wrote, I think she directed Life is a Moment. Did she
0: Yeah, I think she directed and wrote that. I have not been able to track it down anywhere, but I am it's a time travel movie of some sort, and I'm I'm pretty interested in that.
1: As am I. As am I. It's got a few familiar faces, but there's that, there's one here with Chang Fat, The Missed Date. It looks like it's a romantic movie, so I don't know. It does, yeah.
0: So I don't know, you know, I'm not well vers- super well-versed in all of the, you know, uh, various directors that kind of flew under the radar as, you know, they're not the Jackie Chans, they're not, you know, they're not the, uh, what am I going for here? I don't know, but I didn't. I didn't find that there were a ton of women filmmakers working in sort of 1980s Hong Kong no action filmmaking. So I I felt this was kind of a real find to see a film this good. This uh, centered on. I mean, obviously the girls with guns genre was sparked by you know Yes, Madam and uh, and and films like it, and I certainly think this is one similar to that, but. Um yeah it was good to see a you know a female led uh gem like this with uh you know all the girls to the front and uh yeah they can
1: hang 100% 100% they definitely can hang no doubt so yeah very cool man uh, uh anything else Yeah just
0: one more so switching gears a little bit although we we are going back to Spain with this one and in fact it's the same year as Spirit of the Beehive oddly enough. And this is one that I think you and I talked about offline. And this was uh, a quasi giallo by way of Spain directed by Juan Antonio Bardem. And this is the corruption of Chris Miller. Oh ah, man. Yeah.
1: Okay. I'm very excited
0: to hear what you think about this. Cause I only got this recently and really dug it. same. Yeah. This was really good. It's a, it's a little bit slow going, Yes. For I would say the first third of the film. That said, the opening scene is so good. So really amazing. Wow.
1: Oh, man. It's it's just yeah, it's really it's, it's unnerving. Yeah, it's it's, it's just bizarre. And bizarre is the word I
0: would certainly use. But then, you know, Bardem kind of cools things off uh, for the for that first act. Kills are really well done. It is a little bit overlong. It's it's yes. about 113, 114 minutes. It is too long. I would
1: definitely agree.
0: Yeah. With so I'm not sure if you saw uh 2021's The Last Matinee. The sort of, I guess it was, uh, you know, Giallo inspired, for lack of a better uh, phrasing. From, uh, say that again? Was it Italian? It was Uruguay
1: and Argentina co-production. I don't think I did if the title sounds familiar, but
0: yeah, it was, it's good. It had a little bit of buzz in various corners of the the film community online, but I have to think that at least for the look and I guess visual design of that film's killer, uh, the director of that one may have cribbed a little bit from the corruption of Chris Miller. It's a very similar, um,
1: look, I guess. Yeah, I think I'd heard of this and I'd meant to see it, but not mm-hmm. in a day. But I'm really glad you caught this one. I, I agree with your sentiment. I wish it was about ten minutes shorter, um, just because I think that it would have even added. It just would have felt a bit punchier because you do feel the length in spots. But by and large, it's it's a pretty good entry into the genre. It's it's, and this is going to sound weird, but because it, it's such a specific thing mm-hmm. to say. But now that you've seen it, I can share this because I was really struck with it. I was really struck with how how good of a job the person doing the screaming in the films sounded like this. The screaming yeah. Was unnerving. Yeah, very much so.
0: Very much so. Yeah. So this is this is a gem. Um, I think People can can seek this out. I think it's on to be, I believe.
1: Arrow video is Arrow
0: right yeah. now, but it might be gone if it's not. Yeah. Got to act fast. So. No. It is out there. It it is begging for your eyeballs.
1: Yes, yes it is.
0: So that's it from my end. How about yourself?
1: Uh, this week, this specific week, it was very quiet. March break, busy bee, but I did get in a few things. I'm still, I'm creeping into that, the front of my uh, watch list here. So also on the Aero Video channel. I caught up with uh, Quentin Dupieux's Incredible But True. Haven't seen this one, although I'm, I'm familiar with him. So I really love his work. I He's not for everyone, but he's got, he's sort of like the more whimsical, maybe lighter touch Yorgos Lanthimos in some ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I surprisingly, I still haven't seen rubber even, but I saw this, uh, this poster, uh, on the channel and I saw his name and I, and I saw it was like 78 minutes or 80 minutes long or something. And I was like, yeah, just, just take my money, sign me up. I'm really, I'm really happy to watch this. So (laughs) this one, it's such a bizarre kind of low key setup and I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but this, uh, This couple in their 40s buy this new house in the suburbs. And the real estate agent says to them, hey, listen, they show this thing in the basement. Uh, There's feature, I guess, uh, in the house. And he forewarns them. It's a bit of a monkey paw thing. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll leave it at that. But it's a really it's a small film. There's only, I think, you know, four or five cast members. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's small, but it's like I said it's like 74 minutes long. If you like his work, I think you'll you'll find lots to like. It's definitely not going to be for everyone, but I love the absurdity uh, and, and just the humor in his films. It's, yeah. uh, but it is saying something too. I think there is mm-hmm. something said with this film and um it works well, man. It was it was a good one and that's Arrow Video put it out, so that's cool. Very cool. Nice.
0: Did you see uh, his prior film, 2020's Mandibles, by any chance?
1: You know what? I don't know if I did, man. Let me just. I saw Wrong Cops. Yep. I've seen a few of his. I'll have to see here. I don't know if I did.
0: Yeah, I think I saw Mandibles as part of uh, the Night Stream. It was like an all online streaming film festival put together by. I want to say Brooklyn Horror and uh, Boston Underground Film Festival, which is our big genre film festival in uh, Eastern Mass. And there might be some other festivals involved, but I think Mandibles was part of that Nightstream programming. And I think he has an upcoming one that looks really interesting called Smoking Causes Coughing. And it looks kind of uh, (laughs) Power Rangers-esque.
1: Oh my god! I'm looking at this poster right now. It's insane, it's, right? I, I love that title. And again, it's like 80 minutes long. Yeah, just short, punchy, to the point, lean,
0: funny, strange.
1: Oh wow! You know, yeah. he's a filmmaker. I I probably wouldn't think of when someone says, "Give me, give me 10 filmmakers." You you watch anything they do. But I got to say, he might make that list for me. I just I like. Everything he does, he's a very esoteric filmmaker. Like I'm, I'm just I didn't even know he made this film called Deer Skin. Have you seen this? <laughs> no. But I'm reading the synopsis now. Oh my God, I got to read the synopsis. So it's Jean Dujardin, right? Great French actor, um, sort of the French George Clooney. You know, can do comedy, can do you know, spy stuff like actually like like more genre stuff but it says a man's obsession with his deer designer deerskin jacket causes him to blow his life savings and turn to crime (laughs) (laughs) wow i gotta i gotta find it man i gotta i think like pokemon i gotta collect them all i gotta see everything of his i haven't seen because he's been just humming them out right like if you look in the past four years he's done one two three five films uh keep an eye out which looks like sort of like a a throwback to um like a belmondo yeah action crime jam yeah yeah wow so yeah there you go i wonder how easy some of this is to reach i know he's he's crossed over here and he's kind of got um festival appeal here but i'll have to do some digging behind the scenes so unfortunately i didn't watch more uh depew films but i watched one that it was Braden's choice and he wanted he's he's a horror kid for sure it's funny he seems to be more they both love horror for sure but at this point Braden seems to be more horror williams more action so Braden saw this one on shutter wanted to throw it on it's called sorry about the demon Hmm. i am not familiar with this one so this is a newer film it's probably like 2021 2022 it's about this kind of bungling man-child who gets roped into renting a house that has Sam Raimi-esque demons living in it. Oh, boy. So hijinks ensue. Um, We learn a lot about living and a little about love. (laughs) (laughs) I think Alan Jackson once said, this didn't really work for me. I found the lead. I, I, so this film, I think this this young filmmaker, I don't want to take anything away from her. I'm glad she's making films. I'm glad at a young age she's able to make films. Because I think she's been making films since she was about 14 or something. Just crazy. Just a clear a clear affection for for the medium. Um, this just didn't really work for me. It, it it was neither funny nor scary, which that whole comedy horror thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of shoot yourself, yourself in both feet. Mm-hmm. I don't know, and I tried not to be cynical watching this. It had a couple moments, but by and large the acting wasn't very good. It wasn't funny, wasn't scary. I don't know. It kinda stuck the landing better than it started, but didn't really work for me. Did you say
0: this was a shutter original?
1: Yes. Ah, okay. Yeah, you can see the, the covers. It, and it's weird the the lead in it looks like um uh Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, which is what, <laughs>
0: Maybe that was the thing that you couldn't shake that really just pulled you out of the film. It's weird.
1: It was just yeah. very weird, right? It's uh, even my wife. She goes, "Wow, that guy." She wasn't watching the film. She just walked by and goes, "Wow, he looks like Trudeau." And I said, "I know. I thought the same thing." So very strange, you know. And that's that's not a, an endorsement or a condemnation of Trudeau um, by any stretch. I I vote uh, full disclosure. I vote Liberal all the time, but you know, it just yeah, weird. Uh, then we got into March. We'll talk about a couple more here. I watched Hellraiser Evolutions. This is a short 45-minute documentary also on the Arrow channel. Mm-hmm. Just kind of chronologically going through the Hellraiser series. And the ma- it probably spends a little more time on the first one and the making of than it does. It kind of whips through the, the back end of the <laughs> The series. I can't imagine why. Yeah. So I feel like I've been off the series post part three, I think. hmm But I got to say, watching this, and I know I'm going to hurt myself doing it, but I, no, I, I just felt like I, I've got a hankering for some Hellraiser. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'd like to maybe at least revisit the first two and see where it goes from there. And they even showed... You know that meme was around for for a while but that with that poor dude who played who played Pinhead post Bradley. hmm Have you seen how he looked in the makeup? Um I may have. So have to this poor dude he you always see memes like what you ordered from you know, what you ordered and then like the wish version. What of, you got. Yep. she you got. And it's he was he's always on the wrong side of that meme. So there's that. But anyway, I, I, this doesn't give us any new information. But I don't know, man. It kind of whetted my appetite to want to watch the Hellraiser films and maybe even. No, I feel like I've maybe seen the first four or five, but it made me want to dig into a few more nonetheless. So we'll see. Nice. Uh, last one I'll talk about is The Whale. So we watch this as a family. I was trying to cram in all the Best Picture nominees. Uh, I, You know, in years past, when my schedule was different, I could watch a lot of the films, just festival favorites outside of even Academy Darlings And for doing that. But I just haven't had the opportunity, it seems. So the kids are of an age when most of the stuff nominated for Best Picture is going to be safe enough for them to watch. So I decided to try to jam in all the ones I could. So we watched The Whale. Watched as a family. And while I don't think this is a great film. And it's going to be overly sentimental for some. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is me getting older. Getting more sentimental. But it worked more than it didn't for me. And I think some of that has to do with. The really wise casting of Fraser in the role. In the lead. Uh, Just this. His vulnerability that he brings to the role i was really happy to see him win best actor um not to say he was necessarily the most deserving or wasn't I, I i did quite like him but i'll say this when the film finished all of us collected the four of us sat there in silence on the couch for about five minutes just kind of processing it mm-hmm. and yeah, it it was it was a good watch. It was like I said, I don't know if it, it wouldn't make my top ten of the year or anything, but it was a good watch, good performance. Everyone was good in the film, not to take away from anyone. All four actors were really good, four or five actors that mm-hmm. were in it. Uh, so yeah, it was solid. And it's funny because Braden, you know, Braden teared up watching it. We all we all had tears in our eyes at various points. But Braden goes, Dad, you know, this is only the third film I've ever cried at. <laughs> he, he so he was pulling hard for Fraser on Oscar night, hard. Wow. He was out with friends. Mm-hmm. at a little get together, and he goes, "Dad, you got to call me when they're going to announce the best actor nominees." Wow. Which, but he even he nixed the party, asked me to pick him up so he could watch it live with us. Wow. So he got. Back. He's like, "Fuck this! I got to go home and yeah, watch." Yeah, he just scrammed man. Yeah. Yep. He wanted to watch it, so it was good. He cried at this, Oakja, and what was the other one? that was the third one he's cried at. I don't know, but it, yeah, mm-hmm. it was, it was touching, and I'm I'm glad that, well, this may not be the most profound piece of art. That's ever been made i'm glad that film is emotionally connecting with them as, yeah because he's 12 years old yeah right I'm, I'm glad it's connecting with him so that was cool so yeah that's uh that was our run this week so a lot of good stuff yeah yeah uh, yeah some good stuff in there for sure uh you know we had daylight savings time recently we did we did that gives us a little more daylight and it also means we get to spring forward to a little something we like to call this or that. Moi je joue. Moi je joue à jouer contre joue. Je veux jouer à jouer contre vous, mais vous voulez-vous De tout cœur, je veux
2: gagner ce cœur à cœur. Vous connaissez mon jeu par cœur, alors défendez-vous. Sans fricher, je vous le promets. J'ai gagné. Tant pis c'est bien fait, vous êtes.
1: Well, it is time for this or that. We've dusted off our notepads. And we're gonna roll into it here. Uh Matt, do you wanna go first or do you want me to go first? Uh, I, I defer to you, sir. All right. I just thought of this one this morning. Uh-oh. And, well, nothing profound. I'm curious where, as a, a resident of the great state of Massachusetts, where you fall on this one, because I think it seems to be sort of the Superman-Batman for Massachusetts for mainstream film. Uh, Affleck or Damon? This is a tough one. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and we're talking strictly acting, or personality, or let's any anything, any factors we want to weigh.
1: Any factors we want to weigh work for me. I think it's
0: I think it's Damon as a performer. However. I am going to be very interested to see where Ben Affleck goes as a director. Okay. right. Um, I don't have a great answer to this one,
1: obviously. <laughs> I throw a third one into the mix. This, that, or the other. And we oh. put Casey in the mix. Does Casey win out? or I don't know that Casey would win out.
0: I did see him in or saw him for a Q and a session following a, a screening of uh, uh, what was it? The assassination of Jesse James by the coward, Robert Ford. And mm-hmm. he was, uh, he was, he was a compelling uh, speaker figure. And um, in just in, t- in terms of like talking about film. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I don't have like really strong feelings about any of these particular people. <laughs> believe it or not it's not the kind of thing where I actively root for any of them no I would say uh, I would say I think Damon is is certainly the best actor of the three having said that I don't know that I've even seen enough from any three I mean I think in in the last few weeks of episodes uh, listeners are likely to realize that I don't watch anything (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i don't i don't really know anything about uh life or or film <laughs> uh i i think these uh, yeah this group is uh i don't know that it has a clear front runner i'll just say you know i think it'll be interesting to see how affleck or ben i should say spreads his wings uh as sort of a a
1: creator here we go okay Very interesting. Where do I sit on this one? I think I'm going to go Ben on this one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is. I think to me, out of the three, I'd probably want to have lunch with Damon. I feel like he's, and again, I'm not based on anything other than very surface available information. The most down to earth, it seems, Seems, of the three. Yeah, seems to be the most down to earth. Seems to really care about his craft in some regards. Worked with some pretty interesting filmmakers. Although, Although both the other actors are both the the brothers Affleck mm-hmm. as well. Uh, I just, yeah, I feel like in that sense, but I'm going to go Ben on this one. I think he's definitely got some interesting stuff in him as a director. Argo, I thought was pretty solid. Yeah, I liked Argo. Love the town. Yeah, love the town. I think it's a yeah. great piece of genre film. and. Mm-hmm. A good cast. It's just top to bottom. It's it's a really muscular, uh, you know, quality piece of filmmaking. Um, I liked his turn as Batman, to be honest with you. I think he's a great older Batman. Mm-hmm. Just as far as he has a certain charisma and I think he has a certain weariness. And I think those films are really flawed that he was in. But I think it's really good casting. And I think he there's some economical acting despite... How large that cowl looms and, and mm-hmm. how large that turn could be for some. Right. It's yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm I'm Ben, but uh, to go for lunch, I'm Matt.
0: Yeah, I think I mean, certainly Ben is the most meme worthy,
1: right? You see that exasperated. The, the, that exasperated. Smoke break. Draft. Yeah, the dart break. And he's just. Oh. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good
0: meme. It has elements of uh, the sad Keanu memes from several years
1: <laughs> preceding, right? Oh, oh, for sure. For sure. It's funny. And I don't know. He just. He's lived a, an interesting life. That's for sure.
0: For sure. So. All right. I yeah, I got I got one for you. Let's okay. let's keep it in the Massachusetts actor wheelhouse for the moment. Ooh. But this is uh, this is going back some decades. So this one, I got to ask. Jack Lemon or Ruth Gordon
1: I'm gonna go Ruth Gordon. same. yeah man. I'm gonna go Ruth Gordon. I have to be honest and this might seem very blasphemous. Lemon I don't know if I've just not seen enough of lemon stuff. I've seen at least a handful of things he's done, but I have not seen anything from Lemon that really uh, lit me on fire that I just yeah I, I was like I gotta see more. Right. Whereas Ruth Gordon has been in at least three or four things that I really loved her in, she was really memorable in. So it, you know, I'm I'm definitely Team Gordon on this one. Yeah, that's the thing. She
0: does stand out in in everything uh that she that she does. So I think that would be my reason for choosing Ruth Gordon as well.
1: Do you know, and you may not know this, was Jack Lemon, I can't remember right now, and I'm scrolling quickly. Oh, yeah, he was. Okay, so have you ever seen the out-of-towners with Lemon?
0: No, I don't think I have.
1: Man, I I just, I don't know. I watched it. I I found him pretty grating in it. I think it was more the direction than anything. Mm -hmm. Didn't really work for me, and that's that kind of, you know, I'm carding him for that one a little bit. Like, that might have been more of a directorial thing, but gordon's never left me like just going you know what stop just, yeah just turn it down is
0: is that one for which he's really well known is that yeah. is that one that people say oh you got to see jack lemon in the out-of-towners he's outstanding and then you throw
1: it on and oof i feel like they do it's a neil simon adaptation okay and it's sandy dennis like it was a pretty high profile film and and it's them in new york city i can't remember why they go there now he's i think for some sort of a meeting he thinks he's gonna get a promotion and hijinks ensue at every turn around every street corner and every alleyway and it just i think they want you to be as fatigued as him but i was fatigued for all the wrong reasons yeah so yeah it didn't really work for me but no that's the way it goes um Jim Varney as Ernest or Weird Al?
0: Oh, gosh. <laughs> I find this one
1: deeply unfair. <laughs> <laughs> I was driving one day and I left myself a voice. I don't even know how it came into my head, but I was like, oh, this is a really random one. I got to.
0: Yeah. It, no, it's it's outstanding. I think. Uh, I don't think it's like an apples to apples comparison, though. Only because no Varney did so much film work and the comparably Weird Al. What do you do? Like UHF and let's look at them as look at them as creators. I guess just creators. Yeah. I think I, I think I prefer the comedic stylings of Weird Al. Yep. However, as a performer, I think it's Varney. And I I say this as someone who had deep affection for a lot of his films (laughs) in my young life, like uh, Ernest Scared Stupid, certainly at the top of the list. Um, And did I ever send you the photo of uh, Varney? He was he was doing like some sort of like fall photo shoot and he's like hanging halfway out the front door of a DeLorean.
1: No, but I need that. (laughs) (laughs) that can be arranged oh my Um, sunday is about to get a lot better that's right
0: uh i mean i love UHF as well for that yeah you know having said that just in terms of the the actual work but uh yeah ernest goes to prison is another one that i liked for a time But, but yeah yeah no i think it's uh i think it's weird al as as a as a comedian and then uh You know, Varney is an all around entertainer. What about yourself?
1: I do love both as well, and I feel guilty choosing one because I think both of these and and unfortunately, Varney left us sooner than we would have liked. But. I feel like I'm probably Weird Al. I've always liked. I've almost kind of pushed Weird Al on my kids a little bit, like not. Not in a huge way. And I've always meant to show them UHF. I don't know if the time has passed for that to really hit like it would have, you know, three, four years ago. But I've always just loved that Weird Al embraced what he is, what he what he brings to the table. I've always admired that. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Uh, as for Varney. Yeah, I mean, I have such an affection for him. I think our generation. we grew up right in his heyday when he was. Uh, I don't want to say at the peak of his creative powers, but at the peak of his commercial powers, he he found something that worked and people really clamored for it, and he struck while the iron was hot as any wise person would. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a certain sincerity and sweetness to that that I feel bad choosing against, but I feel like Weird Al's been around for me a touch longer, and uh, yeah, I'd be, I'd, you know, I I guess I'm Weird Al too in a bit of a photo finish, but yeah. I'll still uh, high five Ernest at the or Varnie at the finish line. So there we go.
0: Nice. All right. So I, I have a food one for you. Um so do you ref, do you refer to the stuffing that goes inside of a turkey for the holidays? Uh, stuffing or dressing? Stuffing. Stuffing, stuffing. okay. Always so, uh, dressing? No. No, I've just seen a lot like a lot of recipes refer to it as dressing. But the actual choice uh, in this scenario is uh, bread stuffing or French Canadian meat and potato stuffing. Because I I grew up eating both. And uh, I'm curious to see where you land on this.
1: I'm going to ask you something that I might get my card revoked, my Canadian card. What is this? french canadian meat and potatoes
0: well usually it's um it's certainly more potatoes than it is meat so it's usually like hamburger like ground ground beef um 10 to 12 potatoes that you then like mash down onion celery poultry seasoning um the twist that uh my grandmother always put into it was like a little bit of clove
1: Oh, clove is on point. Ham? If you do a ham, cook it with the cloves. Clove. Mm-hmm. Bit of a Yeah, they're a killer, man. They're good. Yeah, so
0: that that's that's the the guts of the stuffing, uh, the ingredients of the stuffing. But I like I said, I grew up doing both uh around the holidays.
1: So you would stuff this in the turkey. Yeah, this would go in the turkey, and then a little bit on the side for Those who uh, who like a lot of it, I guess. My God, that sounds incredible. And I didn't think anything was going to knock stuffing off its perch. (laughs) (laughs) I I got to open a tab because I think this must be a regional thing because of your proximity to Quebec.
0: It must be like a New England thing. Yeah, I wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me the least.
1: Oh, that sounds like a dish unto itself. But I'll say this: I'm really glad. You know what that almost sounds like to me? It's almost like, a, have you ever had a tortiere? No,
0: I don't think I have.
1: So what's a tortier, in that? It's a like a French Canadian meat pie, but it's it's very simple. It's it's usually like done in like the large pie shape, as opposed to the individual self-serve meat pies. And it's very mm-hmm. simple: ground pork, onion, essentially. Oh, loved. then I have had that. Yeah, yeah. tortilla yep. man. It, so that's what it kind of sounds like. You're putting a tortilla inside a turkey, which yeah. I'm in. I So I love stuffing. And my kids finally are at the age now where they're they're into stuffing and cranberries because, you know, there's something things kids don't want to eat. Like they'll always eat mashed potatoes. And yeah, but they're they're about the stuffing and cranberry life now. And <laughs> I'm going to drop this one on them and my wife and just wallop them with flavors. Wow. This I how did I not know about this? so stuffing i love you i feel almost guilty like this is like not to be callous but this is like the woman i've never even seen and i'm leaving my my long-standing relationship with stuffing for here but i gotta go with this french canadian one this sounds incredible does it feel too heavy though does it sit too heavy having all that oh yeah it sits it sits heavy
0: it's it's quite a process to make it's a it's like a you know, between two and four hour ordeal just to put together. But well worth it.
1: This is getting dropped. This is getting dropped for sure. OK, wow. That's amazing. Come for the film talk. Stay for the regional delicacies. <laughs> That's right. Amazing. Uh, mm, OK. Stuart Gordon or Frank Henenlotter. Oof.
0: So, truth be told, I've only seen two Lauder films, I think. Okay. Uh, Basket Case and, and Brain Damage, which I both really, you know, both were outstanding. Yep. Um, so for that reason, I think I'm going to go Stuart Gordon on this one. Um, not for any other
1: reason than just having seen more of his films. Sure. I would say. It's crazy to me that he directed, because I think of Gordon as such a horror filmmaker, it's crazy that he directed Fortress, the Christopher Lambert film. and oh, No film. kidding. What was the latter one? Robot Jocks. Pretty oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, This is a tough one. I, know, these are two genre filmmakers that I didn't necessarily grow up with, like some did. It mm. feels like. Um, hmm. I really like Frankenhooker and, and Brain Damage. Yeah. And even Basket Case is fun. I think I'm also going to go, just because of the, I think a little more diversity in Gordon's filmography, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Gordon, but that's that's a close one. That's that's only for, I think, the diversity of it. So, all right, there we go. Excellent.
0: Um, singing in the Rain or The Umbrellas of
1: Sherboard? You... Have just done me dirtier <laughs> than anyone has. Ooh, high That's, praise indeed. I can't tell you how much I adore both these films and uh, what they mean to me. Um, I love both. I'm not a, necessarily a musical guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you talked last week about getting in your vegetables, cinematically, so to speak. Yeah, and your fiber. I don't think these are necessarily vegetables or fiber, but they're not regularly in my diet. Right. And maybe they'll be more like a, a pie or a pastry or something, um, or if we're going to use the French thing, croissant. But I always feel silly fa- saying croissant. I should, I got to say croissant. I don't know. That's just a sidebar. But. Oh, okay. I'm going to go singing in the rain mm-hmm. because that was the first film. Like I, I had William in my arms. I want, I had this thing when my kids were born, I wanted each of them to watch. I don't know what, what, what motivated me necessarily, but I wanted to really be mindful of the first film they watch in my arms and I wanted both films to be technicolor. So for William, it was singing in the rain. Mm-hmm. And I always say Singing in the Rain is, is my, you know, sunshine for the soul, chicken soup film. It means so much to me. My wife got the, the special edition Blu-ray set for me, like the box set, when it came out. And that was the first film he watched. Braden's was Johnny Guitar. Um, so I'm going to go Singing in the Rain. But I absolutely love Umbrellas. I've, I've seen Umbrellas. A handful of times. I'm always enchanted by it. It's got such a just such a poignant uh, end, ending. At the, at the back end of that film, it's almost like a Splendor in the grass type ending, not to spoil it for anyone. But Demi is a filmmaker that I think had more sadness and I don't want to say cynicism. I don't think he was a cynic- cynical filmmaker, but there was more going on than just glossy musicals with his glossy musicals. Yeah. So yeah, that's a tough one, but I'm going to go *Singing in the rain. What about you? Um,
0: I've seen singing in the rain a, a handful of times, but umbrellas I've only seen the once. So, having said that i think it's probably singing in the rain just because i'm you know i'm more immediately familiar with it and i think it is a little bit more accessible as a first-time watch yep uh however i think umbrellas is just a a richer film overall
1: both films the color palette is just yeah extraordinary for the the film lover just you could watch them on mute and you'd be doing yourself a disservice, but you could just watch them and visually they're so colorful and so appealing. And that's why I like a lot of that work from the 60s, like stuff like the Even the Disney stuff from the era, like Mary Pop, mm-hmm. it's, it's just visually, like I said, it's like cotton candy for the film lover. It's 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 very. Yeah, very delicious. Yeah, really pops. Yeah, it does. It does. Very cool. All right. How many more do you have? A couple more. I'm, I'm tapped out. Okay, so why don't I do one more? Might be too easy. I'm going to do you dirty. You just did Uh-oh. dirty. <laughs> Johnny Toe or Takashi Mike?
2: Ooh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Ah, <laughs> uh, hmm this feels to me like the the equivalent of neither one of us knows what we want from the menu and i say Mm -hmm. he's gonna order first because i need time to think it over (laughs) yep yep
0: um gosh I mean, I even hesitate to render a response here. Um, Because they're both so good. Um, Yeah, this is tough. So I think it's probably, for me, Johnny Toe. I think his highs are just a little bit higher for me. But I think Mike can get down with the sleaze in a way that if you're in the mood for it and you want to watch a sleazy film, um, he is the, the appropriate chef for that for that menu item. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you have a, a favorite of these
1: two? Oh, boy. So I'm going to compare them to two other filmmakers that are Italian-American here. Mm-hmm. I feel like in this instance, Mike is to Coppola what Toe is to Scorsese. Yeah. In that, for me at least, um, there's a little more diversity. Wow, well, Scorsese is pretty diverse, I guess. But I don't know. I just feel like I'm probably Toe as well by a hair, but I could be talked into going Mickey on this one because I think about some of the like he's done horror films yeah he's done yakuza films he's had period films he's done musicals yeah comedic musicals yeah comedic musicals he's put things on screen like visitor queue etc he's done uh, legal like courtroom musicals he's done teen gang films mm-hmm. so diverse. And I'm almost talking myself into Mike, but my gut tells me immediately Toe. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Toe also feels, you know, like, you know, Michael Mann a little bit. I don't know. And that's that's counterintuitive because I'm not the hugest man fan. But, yeah, I'm going to go Toe on this one, too. But I don't feel great saying. Yeah. That. Talked into Mike. <laughs> yeah.
0: I So I haven't seen the one that I really the Mike film that I really want to see that I have yet to is uh, The Bird People of China. Or in it's China, I should so say. so good. Yeah. It's been eluding me for a number of years, but that's that's been on my list for as long as I've known about Miike. I think the first film of his that I saw was uh, Fudo.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah mine was Ichi. Yep. Yep.
0: Um, yeah. That is, so, uh, again, no.
1: no good choices there, right? Or actually, the. Both of the choices are too good. <laughs> I know. Well, you think about <laughs> yeah. even. um Did you ever see? And this is one that I think is forgotten, but now I think we covered it on the show. Lesson of the Evil. Did you ever see that yeah. one? Yeah. Teacher, kind of a psychotic teacher. E- no, I don't think I have seen this one. It's really good. It's really. I think I feel like we covered it on the show. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. Very good one. They're all. There's so many good ones, but. I think when we look back on these two filmmakers, because I think sometimes we take for granted how fortunate we are to have both of them, because they tend to work in genre stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't. I think, with all due respect, people in our circles will appreciate them because we kind of straddle the line. But both filmmakers are going to have at least at least 10 to 15 very good to great films in their filmography yeah so me you know now i'm almost talking into Mickey looking at here, but <laughs> both guys just they're both gonna have such a solid uh, body of work that you just yeah wow wow you know another one i want to talk about if you've never seen it mm-hmm. really really love of mickey's is big bang love juvenile a mm. really love that one it's it's Not as talked about as a lot of his other ones, but really, really good. So, Excellent. There you go. go. We did each other dirty on this week's uh, This or That. That's the way it goes sometimes. We are going to take a short break. I'm going to look up French-Canadian stuffing recipes. (laughs) We'll be right back to talk about David Lynch's 1999 film, The Straight Story. We'll be right back. back gang it is time for our review of the straight story uh, 1999 directed by one david lynch um, Matt, i'm gonna kick it over to you to synopsize this one and then i'll get into kind of why i picked it and just maybe a very brief mm-hmm. uh, discussion on our individual history with lynch as a as a filmmaker as a creator
0: sure yeah so it should be said this is the true story uh, of a man named Alvin Straight. Uh, synopsis is an old man makes a long journey by lawnmower to mend his relationship with an ill
1: brother. Yeah, that's simply put, and it is pretty, pretty direct. I think it kind of hits it. Uh, you, as you said at the beginning of the show, you are by your own admission. Um, a bigger Lynch fan than I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. So what do you've always kind of, a, you've dug as you dig his work quite a bit, I guess, I guess Twin Peaks, et cetera.
0: Yeah. Twin Peaks. Uh, I think the film of his that I, I like the most is probably wild at heart with, uh, with Nick Cage and Laura Dern and uh, Willem Dafoe Oh yeah. and many others. But uh, Twin Peaks is certainly um, a major touch point for me uh with respect to his work uh the return uh series was uh you know kind of a landmark uh viewing for me as i'm sure it was for a lot of fans of twin peaks and um the rest of his work but yeah i love the sort of floaty occasionally incoherent dream logic in his work uh, I love the use of doppelgangers. I, I'm, a, I'm like, I, I am comfortable with not understanding everything in a film. Yep. Certainly. Um, and in some ways that, that seems to be his calling card. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's certainly divisive. I, I, I don't take anything away from those who, uh, don't enjoy his work, but, uh, for me, it just, it, it hits in, in a lot of in a lot of the right spots for me.
1: Nice. It's weird. I, I don't dislike Lynch. Mm-hmm. I, Frankly, I love what he brings to the table. I like that he's a very unique voice uh, in film. On paper, everything that he does would work for me or should work for me. Yeah. For some reason, I don't know what it is. Not to say everything, because we've covered uh, probably... Two or three films of his on the show like we covered wild at heart mm-hmm. covered blue velvet um oh he's got 98 directorial credits to his name that's a lot um so i mean i think he's a great filmmaker i really do but and i think the big thing i can never really get past is is twin peaks and and even, well, Inland Empire, is it Inland, free, I'm having a break. Inland Empire has no tie to Twin Peaks, correct? Like there's no, mm, universe, no universe
0: or anything, is it? I don't think so, no. Okay. I mean, there might be people out there who can find <laughs> some right. connective tissue between the two, but um, I'm certainly not one of them. Was uh so did you, did you guys enjoy, to, to the best of your recollection, Wild at Heart or, or Blue Velvet? I think those are two of his more
1: accessible films, certainly. Yep. So Wild at Heart was a Sammy pick, because I never would have picked it. Quite enjoyed it. Uh, I like what Elephant Man, too, it should be said, and Erase Red. I think, by mm-hmm. and again, it's, I, I don't take on sort of an adversarial kind of stance with him. I just... For whatever reason, I, I want to like his stuff more than I do, because a lot of people whose taste I really dig, yourself included, love him, love his work. I think I got to give Twin Peaks another try. I got to do Inland Empire and Mulholland Drive one more try, too, because I like Mulholland. Didn't love mm-hmm. it. Inland Empire, same thing. Lost Highway. Oh, like Lost I Highway. Bill yeah. Pullman. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Like you said, the dreamlike stuff, this doppelgangery stuff, that stuff all works for me. Like it just it's an it's a soft sell for me. So,
0: yeah, I think I think this is a, an interesting film to discuss in part because of the. The Sissy Spacek connection, so her and Jack Fisk were. Um, instrumental in helping Lynch get Eraserhead done. Mm hmm. So he had some some gaps in funding during the production that they helped fulfill and um, So for that reason, I think it's and it's an interesting full circle uh, film, given SpaceX involvement here, which we'll we'll get to momentarily. But uh, I just thought that was interesting.
1: Yeah, a sidebar. Had, yeah. And I had to be honest, I had forgotten about that connection, frankly. So yeah, you're right. That's that's an interesting uh, kind of full circle moment, and it's obvious to anyone who knows anything about Lynch's filmography. This is the um, the odd one out, or the, the the one that's different from the others in terms of his filmography in every way. At, at Disney, I mean, it's Disney Plus. Like, it, Disney has. I think I don't know if Disney released it originally. Do you know if they did? I know they have the rights to it now. I assume they they would have had it from the get go. And
0: yeah, that I that I don't know. Um, but I do think that part of the reason this feels so different from the rest of his work is probably due to how much influence uh, Mary Sweeney had. Yes, with this picture as a screenwriter, as a producer, as the editor. So. Uh, I think in in a lot of ways, it's as much Mary Sweeney's film as it is David Lynch's.
1: I'm glad you made that uh, made that point because she was heavily involved from the all of the reading and research I had done, which admittedly wasn't a ton, but it was enough to want to make sure she got the credit she was due uh, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty small cast, and I know we'll get to, of course, um. Richard Farnsworth very shortly here because there's a lot to talk about and celebrate with his performance in this film. So yeah, this was one um, I'd always kind of wanted to see, but I'll say this. I'm very thankful. You know, we see different films at different points in our lives and they they will mean different things to us. I'm glad that I saw this film at this point in my life Mm -hmm. because I think it allowed a much more emotional resonance for me. Being in my mid-40s, essentially, like mm-hmm. you know, three years old. So I'm definitely not at the same point uh, as Farnsworth was in his life. But I'm, I'm at the midway point, essentially, right? And you can allow yourself to, to think of parents. You can think that that's as close as our childhood is. You know, it kind of drums up a lot, but I'm thankful that I I I, I'm watching it now at this point in my life when I can I can sit with the film and and process a lot of it and how I feel about it uh, at this point as a uh, as an, as an adult, as a man, as a you know, as an adult now. Right. Yeah. I think there's a
0: one line that stuck out to me among among many poignant lines of dialogue in the film was uh alvin saying you don't think about getting old when you're young you should yeah right uh that one that one among many of them <laughs> stuck with me
1: there's so many great lines in this the, and the line that's sort of the the coin flip of that one or the other side of the coin is when someone asks him what's the worst part about getting old and he says remembering that you were young yeah right and mm-hmm. just, there's so many great lines. And, and like I said, this is such a unique entry into Lynch's filmography. And on the surface, there's a very simple approach here. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think about films that came before it, like Ikiru, mm-hmm. like Humberto D. And I can't help but think about films that came after it that that share some of the same DNA, like Nomadland. Uh, I think Chloe Zhao was very informed by the color palette, the naturalism, naturalism, the sense of community, and even something like um, This Must Be the Place, the Paolo Sorrentino film. Well, it doesn't age the same way, but this journey and this humanity that we see at its core really feels indebted to this film.
0: Very much so, because Alvin, throughout the film, I mean, this it, it's a road movie, right? Mm. And he is so reliant on the kindness of strangers throughout. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, in some ways, it kind of brings out his uh, his stubbornness. You know, like we know he's a stubborn guy from the jump because he's. Uh, I think we can say that he you know he has a fall at home, and then his daughter, played by Sissy Spacek encourages him to go to the doctor and there's that whole scene in the doctor's office where he's like, no x-rays, no operations, no no medicine, no pills. So this is a guy that you know is cutting his own his his own road. Um, yeah, and sometimes that's to a fault and and sometimes that works for him.
1: But that's him, right? But that's him, yeah. Or that's him. I do want to say this because I think it's worth saying, and it adds a, a, an incredible amount of poignancy and subtext and context to what we're watching, but Richard Farnsworth, during the making of this film, he was nominated for Best Actor for this yeah. at the Oscars. Um, he was suffering from terminal bone cancer. Yeah. While making this film. Incredible. And at this point in his life, to do any he had these walkers that he had to use because he he had paralysis in his legs. I can't I can't like I'm sitting with that while I'm watching this film and we're watching this man act. But I think we're also seeing him bring a lot of Self to the performance and understanding where he's at in his life at this point. Mm-hmm. This is the end of the road for him. And just the way that this dovetails with the performance and him being cast in this role because Farnsworth is a guy who worked a lot in Hollywood. He was a stunt man. He's done he's done a lot of work, but I, he wasn't given a lot of chances to shine in a lead role. Right. I think he was almost born in the wrong era right yeah he could have worked with someone like bud Buttaker or you know any of these guys that kind of made uh westerns or just because he seems to be of that era right I mean what's that one the, is it the gray the, fox he did
0: yeah in fact the gray fox is one that i I recently uh recently watched a Canadian film right yep yeah. Yeah, yeah, So understand. he plays a train robber and he's the lead and he's excellent in it
1: yeah, and it's a shame we get these these actors that are never really given a chance to, to do that. And then the one the one time they get that moment, they just shine. I know Zom. I always think of Zom with the Gray Fox. He's a huge fan of that film. And I do want to say this. It's a shame. This is one that I think I would bet you know, bet the farm that that Sammy's a big fan of this one, right? It's, uh, I can't wait to talk to him about this one uh, behind the scenes. But uh, it's a shame he couldn't be on here for this. But farnsworth just born at the wrong time it seems you know and he worked in a lot of older films but it just think about where he was at in his personal life and, and how that comes through in his performance it just adds mm-hmm. so much emotional heft as you're watching this The what he's processing and what he's presenting
0: yeah it really does and, and certainly you can see how he would be able to very easily relate to the material and the 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 true life story too um This film is obviously one of many that uh, Lynch discusses. There's a couple of books that I want to just mention uh, in passing that are that are relevant to our discussion here. One is Lynch's uh, sort of autobiography, Room to Dream. There's a section about uh, the straight story in that. And I think the other one is Lynch on Lynch. But there was a point. I don't know how Farnsworth got this script. I don't know how it landed with him I don't know if it was through an agent or through uh, through the network um, in Hollywood because uh, I think he had more or less checked out of acting in part due to his illness but obviously there was some part of him that felt compelled in such a way that he really needed to do this film he had that last story
1: to tell right yep yeah. yep yeah. and I I'd be curious to to look that stuff up i I'd, I'd like to read more. And lynch has always been an interesting figure because it's funny the the dvd for this i don't even think it's gotten a blu-ray so full disclosure this was a i think it's on disney plus in the us it's not here mm-hmm. i had to i had to find it through other means unfortunately but uh i, I i'm gonna buy the disc um if it's still in print yeah. and i get it but lynch as with a lot of his films correct me if i'm wrong but he doesn't do like commentary tracks or like supplemental features and stuff like that. Cause he, he's always of the mindset, the film speaks for itself. Am I? That's right. Yeah. Absolutely right. The only, this doesn't even have, well, it might have interactive menus, Mm -hmm. but you don't even have scene selection.
0: Oh, wow. That's, that's an interesting move. So
1: (laughs) he wants people to experience this journey from as Alvin does. That's right. No scene selection. Finish. You're watching it start to finish or you're fast forwarding it or. Yeah. You know, which is. You don't inc- get
0: to just jump to the wiener scene, right?
1: That's right. And there are <laughs> wiener scenes. <laughs> there are. <laughs> yeah, there are. Um, <laughs> so. Yeah, it opens up and. I got to ask you, and I was doing a little bit of research on this. This feels uh, like as anyone else. And the one guy that I kind of saw was, and I haven't seen it yet. Have you seen Gaspar Noé's Vortex? Not yet, no. So I want to see that now, but I can't think of too many other filmmakers where their body of work was so different than one film in their filmography, and they absolutely landed uh, with the 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 uh, the odd duck in their filmography. Can you think of anyone else off the top here? Because I couldn't, no, I didn't spend days thinking about it, but... Nothing really jumped out at me that that would have landed like this landed for Lynch, contrary to so much else of his work
0: in terms of uh, how critics related, you know, that one work
1: to the rest of his work or. Yeah, just th- it's so mm-hmm. different than everything else he's done, yet it's so effective. It's it just he landed it, but it like it sticks the landing, but it's so different from everything he's done.
0: Yeah, nothing nothing
1: immediately comes to mind No. Yeah, no, I couldn't really think of anything, but No Way's Vortex, which I'm sure, again, in some ways, I would be quite confident in saying No Way's a Lynch fan. Mm-hmm. That shares a little bit of DNA, and that has Dario Argento in a starring role.
0: Now, is is Vortex, at least on its surface, similar to uh, Haneke's Amour? From a so few years that's, ago. Was like,
1: yeah, that's the vibe I get, uh, yeah. at least on the surface.
0: Yeah, I haven't seen either of them, but
1: uh, I had that impression so watching it more i watched it maybe seven eight whatever it came out I, I don't know i don't I don't know if i'm prepared to watch it again right now it's a heavy one man and, and yeah nor am i oof, yeah there's it's a heavy one it's a great film but i was a little more calloused emotionally with films mm-hmm. at that time so yeah but the film opens it's really got this small town feel it's almost last picture showy the shots of the town and i would just, i just want to shout out snowballs you talked about like wieners but <laughs> uh, i want to talk about snowballs for a minute i want to give flowers to snowballs as they're my favorite snack cake and for years you could never get them here mm-hmm. you would always bring them home for me when he'd we'd go to the states so he was long haul truck driver he always bring me snowballs home so we see and that's not clear to me maybe it should be maybe i'm just a dunce but was that woman just like a companion of of Alvin or was it Rose, like sissy SpaceX, like a friend or a neighbor? Did, did you ever? I think it was a neighbor. OK, maybe it's a neighbor then. But she's eating snowballs while she's tanning. Life is good. <laughs> That's as good as it gets. Yeah. Um, pretty amazing. So. Yeah, it opens up. We get snowballs. And we talked about. This being Sweeney's film, but I do want to also give love to a couple of the people that are involved behind the scenes because, while this isn't what I would call a, a showy or a flashy film, it's a it's a quiet film. It's very effective, and uh, Angelo uh, Badalamenti, who passed mm-hmm. away late last year, mm-hmm. scores it effectively. I I never feel like it never feels overwrought or heavy-handed to me. It just feels like it 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 just it fits yeah fits it fits right and on top of that let's give flowers to freddie francis the the cinematographer freddie francis great cinematographer uh, great director in his own right um he was like 82 years old when he shot this film wow so he was right there with farnsworth he was older than farnsworth yeah. oh my gosh incredible and the way he shoots this film it almost, again, it, it works so effectively. It almost feels like a feather kind of floating down from the sky. It just, I, I have to think, like, this is 99. The, the cameras, well, not sort of Soviet-era heavy, heavy cameras. Mm-hmm. I have to think they were still a lot more cumbersome than what you have nowadays. And there's some shots in this when I'm watching it. I'm thinking, wow, you know, this guy's 82 years old. And he's he's shooting the hell out of this film in such a a non intrusive way, a very gentle way. Like I said, it almost feels like a feather in the breeze. And it just uh, it it works so wonderfully uh, within the spirit of the film.
0: Yeah. And it works in a very I mean, it works really well with Sweeney's editing. Like there's a very rhythmic editing style to this film. Um, A lot of dissolves between. Day and night and and just different scenes that that work well with with the footage that Francis captured.
1: Yeah. And I want to mention that for a sec. You talk about the editing. It's episodic and sometimes that feels amateur to me, but it doesn't feel that way at all here. It, it, it lends itself well to the journey that Farnsworth is on.
0: Absolutely. And I'm going to make a very, very clumsy comparison, but this film works for me as a road movie in the same way that Wee's big adventure does
1: oh, if, that, if that makes any sense at all it makes total sense it makes total sense yeah that's a good and i love i love peewee's big adventure man that's do i really love it yeah good good call man shout out peewee that's a good one um what else do i got here So, yeah, we talked about uh, Freddie Francis, just that warm, natural kind of palette, Mm -hmm. very golden. It uh, it works really well throughout the film. And then it slowly transitions to kind of because we find out in the film because it's not entirely clear what time of year it is. I mean, we can kind of guess, but we find out that this journey starts in the beginning of September and it takes us through to October.
0: Yeah. And I think. Actually, in Room to Dream, I think it's in Room to Dream, the the, the Lynch book, he does remark that they shot everything in order. So they shot everything sequentially. And so, you know, whatever time of year it was in the film is when it was in the production.
1: And to add more authenticity to this, they shot on the same route that Alvin Strait took. Yeah, it's it's incredible when you think about all these little details, the details and the love letter to Mm -hmm. Straight's journey. Is remarkable, like it's they didn't have to do that right at all, but I think the people involved in making this film probably felt Well, I think it emotionally I know from reading it emotionally connected with them and they felt that they would be doing a disservice to not bring that authenticity to the film right it's it's mm-hmm. remarkable it's absolutely remarkable um what for me is not remarkable but to each their own is the volume of german wieners and baloney <laughs> that alvin consumes on his journey
0: yeah it's almost uh i mean if, if you were to take it in another direction and just read it as straight propaganda for processed meats i think you could you could make a convincing case for that
1: case casing no pun intended <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of yeah wiener consumption baloney consumption i don't know how they get down in iowa but it looks like the the clerk at the grocery store thinks they're having a party well that's because
0: Wisconsin knows how to party
1: according to multiple okay. characters. <laughs> like a Wisconsin party that's right Yeah, but uh, they they love their what is it Braunschweiger Lon, Braun, Braunschweiger I think it's the brand I looked it up but I, when they said it on screen I looked it up and it was a legit brand of bologna and processed meat so yeah so there we go but as silly as it sounds it it kind of fits in the spirit of the character right like yeah just you know, simple and simple no frills mm-hmm. he likes what he likes um how about this line there's so many great lines in this film some of them have a really kind of philosophical or just a very emotional touch but there's some kind of light comedy in this too there's a great exchange exchange about a a grabber. Like one of those devices you use to kind of, you, you squeeze the handle and. Oh yeah. And someone goes, what do you need that grabber for Alvin? Grabbing. (laughs) Right. Right. So I like that. I like that exchange where the guy's really wrestling with giving up that grabber. This is pre Bezos, you know, pre next day delivery. He's gonna have to wait a few months for a grabber of that quality. And he wrestles with it. And, We'll say this. Alvin drives a hard bargain at several points in this film. He does. Man knows what he wants. He knows what he wants. So, uh, the film, we talked about SpaceX. Like, I, I don't want to focus too much on this because I, I don't like to focus on the negatives.
0: I know where you're going with it, yeah.
1: I love Sissy. Yeah. I always rep for Sissy. hmm But if I'm being truthful here... And I would think that Alvin would want the truth. I don't think her performance no. I know her performance does not work for me in this film.
0: I agree with that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I I I know what you mean. I don't want to give too much away about no. the reasons for that. Um no, no. It, it, it's it's a common refrain with actors who are trying to portray uh we'll say like like particular conditions yep and uh i i agree that it it stands out a little bit too much and becomes distracting
1: it does and i'm grateful as much as i love sissy Mm -hmm. i'm grateful that that's very much a supporting role in the film like i'm glad this focuses for a lot of reasons on Alvin's journey and Alvin's interactions as opposed to because I think you lose some of the focus if this becomes like a, a traveling band, so to speak. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So mean intimacy. You do. And you, I that said, I I do like the relationship between Alvin and SpaceX character. Yeah. I like their quieter moments when, you know, there's this scene early on uh before alvin learns about what's happening with his brother where they're just you know sitting on the screened in porch watching the rain and you can see that alvin appreciates those moments just to just to sit and watch the rain because it's it's peaceful and uh yeah i i like those those quieter moments between the
1: two i agree i th- i the relationship, despite the performance maybe not working especially well for me, the relationship feels real. And yeah, it, there's a there's a deep connection there, and there's a an emotional connection that really works, uh, in spite of some of the performance missteps for me or the directorial missteps. So, right. The film, by and large, one of the reasons I think it's so effective is primarily these are. Uh, actors that are very much character actors uh the only real other than sissy the only other guy that was really um recognizable to me is everett mcgill that's right and it's a it's a very yeah. other than small. harry small but right right
0: With, and both of those parts uh, very limited screen time but effective in what
1: they are given right very effective very effective. You know, I I feel like I might have seen James Cata in something. He was I really like his. He's got a really nice small turn as as Danny Riordan, Mm -hmm. uh, who takes him in when he's uh, he lets him stay with them. They have a few few nice scenes together, but I I can't say for certain that I've seen him, but he looks vaguely familiar. So, yeah, the film, uh, the film rolls on. One of the things that's so effective here is we get so many quiet, intimate moments, conversations between people. And there's so much. Done with sort of economy of whether it's the eyes. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a scene when he's talking to a young woman early in his journey. She's she's gotten pregnant. And she, you know, she says her family hates her and. You can see the pain in his eyes. Right. Because we don't fully know his journey yet. Right. And I think when you look back, there's some really subtle things happening in this film. I don't want to spoil some of the reveals and they're they're not overly bombastic, but there's some really wonderful emotional reveals uh, with him looking up at the sky a lot to get revealed at the back end of the film. And just some of that stuff you you can see him drawing on in the performance, drawing on uh, his uh, Alvin's life. Right. And it's it's really effective yeah yeah it is and
0: i like that the more expository uh lines of dialogue that you get from alvin's character come out in in conversations that would naturally invoke that it's not just kind of spoon fed to us it it comes out at the right time in the right context so that it doesn't feel so clunky uh it It works quite well the way they they do spill little details about his life and, you know, the life of his family uh, in these conversations that he's having with these strangers and these these folks who help him uh, along his journey.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I do like that it's sort of doled out over time to us because it slowly peels the layers off the onion and um, mm hmm. Gives us that sense because we've we've all seen films when they don't know how to tell us everything, so we get an info dump. Yeah, through you know a monologue or some sort of expository just diarrhea. So exactly. Yeah, no, this this works well, and you know there's a there's a quiet moment in this, and it it might seem like a throwaway moment, but I think it really speaks to the performance that Farnsworth puts in. There's a moment when he's he's just going by on his his riding lawnmower and these cyclers are driving by him yeah and you see this really subtle kind of joy and wonder in his eyes at at their youth at their speed at this just the the spectacle of it and i just i don't know i really like that moment because i think it draws so much on he's at the the back end of his life and i think you know perspective changes as we get older right perspective changes for us and just some people wouldn't even look at that but at this point he's just i don't know a small it's, moment but so much is done with his eyes
0: it is it's almost like a it's almost like a childlike reaction to it right yeah. just so so wide-eyed and curious and, and enjoyed at like you said the speed and the color and the movement and just the level of activity in relation to his sort of slowly puttering along lawnmower uh,
1: so yeah very nice moment yeah it is There's one moment where that lawnmower is not puttering. And I'm being honest here. So he hits a hill that he does not see coming. Mm -hmm. And I am being honest here. My heart was starting to pound when he's going down that hill more than any Dom Toretto bonanza. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was white knuckle stuff. Yeah, it was very harrowing. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But that speaks to Lynch. As a filmmaker because we've all seen small moments that the emotional stakes for us as the viewers are turned up so much because if i just take the concept of, say a going down a hill mm-hmm. okay. all right a little too fast yeah a little too fast it, it doesn't feel like much but when, it, when you're invested in this and you see this like i said my heart literally started to speed up me like, oh my god don't do this. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good scene. Yeah. It's a good scene. Um the other thing I like too, and I mentioned Chloe Zhao's Nomad Land mm-hmm. earlier, which really emotionally um spoke to me. The there's this DNA they share where there's a sort of um a quiet, fierce dignity. And sense of humanity that farnsworth and mcdormand bring to the film like they're going to live their lives on their own terms and they're not Mm -hmm. getting a disrespectful but they're they're fiercely protective of that dignity uh, no matter what's happening around them yeah absolutely (laughs) absolutely and i like how
0: In his interactions with these people along the way, Alvin, despite being stubborn about the way he lives his own life, passes like nearly no judgment at all on others that Uh. he comes into contact with who are either going through something that is very different uh, or are just at at some different point in their lives.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. The film one of the reasons it I think it works so well is it's outside of his performance. It's just that we mentioned this, but the, the, this is a love letter to the human connection, mm-hmm. community, sharing stories, kindness, kindness, right. It's really a love letter to all of these things. And it's funny because you never get this sense from his character. Like, Oh, what a mooch. Like what, right. I, you know, he's just relying on everyone else. You never get that sense. It's just, he knows he has to do this. When his hand gets forced, he has to rely on others. And it's not that he's necessarily happy or upset about it. It's just, it's just the way of it. But it almost is like, well, yeah, that's what people do. We help each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? And it just... Um, it's really effective. And just the lack of cynicism in the film. We all, I think, go through you know our 20s sometimes being very cynical about stuff we watch. We can sneer at stuff. But... Um, this film is bereft of any cynicism. And it's... Yeah. A, I think we're it's, all better for it.
0: And it's sentimental without being overly saccharine. Oh, yeah. And that's a tightrope walk. It is. It's a fine line to,
1: to manage, to handle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Another scene I really love, because like I said this is primarily made up of these interactions with people, is... When he's he gets stuck in this town for a little bit, and the Riordans are a couple he meets. They're they're lovely to him, and uh, this older gentleman, uh, who's probably around his age, maybe a couple years older even, played by Wiley Harker. Um, he picks mm-hmm. him. Up and he says, "Hey, let's you know, let's um, let's go into town. or you know, have a beer." I love their scene at the bar and they're, they're sharing stories about uh, being in war. And it's obviously yeah. it's never anything nothing celebratory or, or anything. It's just lamenting losses, scars they have and uh, Farnsworth says, you know, all my buddies' faces are still young. Uh, that's how I remember them. And all the years I've had, their years that they've lost, that they didn't mm-hmm. have and it, it's just uh, that scene for me really just these two men you know we see people in our lives every day and it's such an obvious statement but we don't know what someone's life is or what they've gone through and i just i love that the characters are afforded these moments to to speak on um what they're going through and, mm-hmm. and that sense of human connection. It's it's um It's really he lets it play out, just keeps the camera on them. Francis keeps the camera on them. Not a lot of quick cuts, just allows the scenes to unfold and people to express a lot of these things that have probably been quiet inside them for a long time. Right. And. I I definitely
0: got the impression that those stories were not narratives they felt like they could share with just any old person, right? Like they had to have that mutual understanding of, of what the other man had gone through and yeah. they connect on that level and they share on that level.
1: Yeah. You yeah. definitely feel that. You definitely feel that. Um, and the film just, and again, I don't know if it's just went point about my life, but it forces us to think about because there's no, um, it's not like, uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Like, it's not like, uh, misery porn or like, um, senior porn or anything that sounds more vulgar <laughs> and like, right like senior sort of, end right. of porn or well, i don't know what the term would be but right but it forces us to think about living with dignity at an older age watching your body slip away and these walls kind of close in inch by inch and mm-hmm. and how you reckon with that in terms of your outlook on life and how you how you interact and engage with the world around you in those times Right. We really see that here. It's, yeah, it's on it's on full display. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Um, I don't want to spoil or, or maybe reveal too much more, but I'll tell you what. There's a scene at the back end and I don't think I'm spoiling too, too much here. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the scene with him and Stanton Ooh. and their faces and their eyes. Oh, man. Like that scene got me that scene really got me and these are two and and listen there's an added emotional heft here because both of these actors aren't with us anymore that's right so it's this 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 wonderful poignant moment they're both they're delivering an emotional honesty that we don't always see on screen and then you have this we're at this juncture where they're they're gone and mm-hmm adds to the moment so it just yeah really i'm glad i picked this one you know it, it just like i said it's it's a very unpretentious film it's but it's a very sincere film and i think if unless you're a real cynic i think there's so much to to admire about um alvin straight story and, and Farnsworth's performance and, and everyone involved but i'll kick it over to you man yeah i
0: don't have uh too much more to add i i do think though in the scene that you're referring to there's so much communication between the characters without really all that much being said yeah because well i don't want to i don't want to say too much about it but i i got the same feels that that you did from that scene for sure yeah um Love the road movie elements. Uh, I don't know who won
1: the Academy oh, award for best I looked, actor. I looked it up. Oh, I looked it cause I had to say, I thought, who beat Farnsworth. For yeah. That? You know, and it was, uh, Kevin Spacey for American beauty. Wow.
0: All right. I mean, of, of all the, uh, <laughs> takey, takesy backsies you could potentially have, that might, be, <laughs> that might be one of the bigger ones. <laughs> oh
1: yeah what a shame that is a that
0: is a real shame uh yeah we talked about the road movie elements we talked about the naturalism of the the imagery from uh freddie francis as cinematographer uh jack fisk was production designer on this okay. film and and he's done work with uh everyone from De Palma to Terrence Malick, uh, and David Lynch, certainly, but, uh, wonderful artists. Yeah. And uh, even, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, there will be blood. Wow. So, um, this is just another feather in the cap here. Uh, I, I think there's those who will disagree. And I think it's like really wonderful if you're able to find substantial signal in his more esoteric works. But for me, I think Lynch is more, at least immediately coherent films all seem to be based on either books or lives lived. So thinking of, you know, elephant man, wild at heart and straight story. uh, And you could certainly throw the blue velvet in there as well. But I do wonder how much of that is due to him as an artist, just being more compelled by ideas and visuals and sound and how they work together than by slavishly trying to hit story beats
1: yeah it's just those things mean less to him as a filmmaker and there's no there should be no penalty for that this isn't one size fits all there's Mm -hmm. many recipes that you can use to bake a cake right so his way of baking a cake is a little different now has he ever you know, a filmmaker I think of and I've never thought made the connection before, because I guess I've never really thought about some of his influences. You'd be more well versed in him and his influence. Has he ever cited Kenneth Anger as a as an influence? I like, I don't want to misspeak. I I'd be I,
0: I wouldn't be surprised if he has. But I don't yeah. know that he that I read that specifically. OK, because it's certainly just, possible.
1: Yeah, because anger just popped into my head thinking about. Mm.
0: Yeah. No, I can see that the uh, the moment you spoke to earlier about the woman eating snowballs while sunbathing <laughs> uh, felt like a like a Lynch moment that you would see in any other of his films. It felt very much like kind of pulled out of the playbook of Blue Velvet in some
1: ways. Or, you know, who else it felt like to me? John Waters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. For sure.
0: Yeah. Uh, What do we got here? Oh, I want to ask you this. Have you ever blown up a lawnmower with a shotgun? <laughs> no, I have never had. I've no, never had the pleasure. No. <laughs> <laughs> I like that scene uh, for a lot of different reasons, but um, I, I think it's one of the more comedic and bombastic. Yeah. And it's known that otherwise doesn't doesn't incorporate that kind of material too much.
1: No, uh, this is the GTTMC, So we got to have some shotgun blasts now and Mm -hmm. a gash of shotgun blasts.
0: I like that. uh, The way that Alvin is, you know, preparing, fixing, he's he's getting the the socket wrench out, he's welding, he's getting together his five gallon drums for gas. He's getting his grabber. Uh, It feels like the sentimental Lynch version of a Rambo gear up
1: scene. It totally does. And it's one of the only sequences in the film that feels like montage and edited. (laughs) That's right. Everything else is just very, just, you know, doles out slowly. This you're right. Is the, the, the Alvin straight version of a Rambo gear up scene. Yeah, it really is.
0: (laughs) Uh, jumping back to Freddie Francis for a moment. Um, this is some of the most astounding night photography that yeah. I think I've seen in a film in quite a while. Uh, he films
1: scenes at night just so wonderfully. He does. They, and this is a time, again, where there wasn't a lot of the same benefit or alliance that we could have on technology to aid in correcting uh, mm-hmm. certain shortcomings because you're shooting at night. Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
0: I don't have too much more here. Uh, I'll probably kick it over to you for make or breaks, MBTs.
1: All right, my make or break for this is the scene at the bar with uh, Alvin um, and Wiley Harker. hmm Um. Or Spoil- I- spoiler alert! That's mine as well. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, it's such a great scene. So much of the film, when we see these, uh, these, uh, these moments with Alvin, they're not necessarily on the same footing mm-hmm. from the perspective of where they're at in their lives. But this is the one scene in the film, save for the scene with his brother, where it feels like a peer, yeah. and he feels to me like he completely opens up to him in a way that he's speaking to a peer, someone who would completely understand him as opposed to um, willfully or willingly engaging and and finding the connection. The connection was sort of immediate with those two. Yeah. Right. There's a certain kinship.
0: And that scene is not over cluttered with stylistic touchers nope. there's no music there's like you said not a lot of uh quick cuts and whatnot to distract from the stories that they're yep. telling in that moment
1: no really great scene mm-hmm. really great scene uh my mvt is farnsworth mm-hmm. i i and i want to say this so the other nominees just for what it's worth that year russell crowe the insider Sean Penn, Sweet and Lowdown. Denzel Washington as uh, Re- Reuben Hurricane Carter. So I'd have to rewatch all of those films. I haven't seen any of them since around that time. Um, but I'd be hard-pressed to think, maybe save for Russell Crowe and The Insider, that any of them were more deserving than Farnsworth.
0: And I think it it makes uh, it makes Spacey's win even more kind of gobsmacking, you know.
1: Yeah, well, that was. <laughs> I'm the surprised year. he won over that field. Well, I know that's a that's a tough field, right? It's, yeah. I remember not really loving Penn's performance, but I didn't. I remember not really loving Sweet and Lowdown, but again, I think mm. if I, you know maybe I'd get more from it because I do generally like Penn as a performer. Sure. Uh. But yeah that was the year of american beauty man i guess that's you know sam mendy's uh, on the scene but yeah I, my mbt is farnsworth here the academy didn't get it right that year i want to get it right and we've talked about everyone involved from fisk to of course lynch mm-hmm. um to freddie francis to mary sweeney and they're all exceptional in what they do but farnsworth is the heart and soul of this film. Mm-hmm. And as someone who was rarely given an opportunity to shine, and to do what he did at this point in his life when he was terminally ill, I think is a is a gargantuan feat that I I just I can't say enough about. Um, it's without any sort of cynicism or pageantry. It just feels like such an emotionally honest performance. It does. And my score for this film is um an 8.75 it 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 just it it's such an unpretentious i don't know it just this worked for me man it's uh mm-hmm. it hit all the right spots so yeah. yeah make
0: or break um same as yours the bar scene between the two tired old dogs yeah right? mvt for me is farnsworth if i if i had to give it to someone else though like if you really twisted my arm and said you know who's who's your runner-up i guess for lack of a better term i think it would probably be be mary sweeney yeah just just given how how much creative burden she was assuming with this film as not just not just the producer or or co-producer but also editing and and writing it um i have to think that's what allowed lynch to just approach this in a in a very workmanlike fashion and just just do the direction of the actors and uh so i think mary sweeney would be my runner-up but uh farnsworth obviously just an exceptional performance oh, yeah. um So I have on paper my score as an eight point five, but talking about the film, thinking about the film more, uh, I think I'm gonna kick it up to a nine. Like this is this is really outstanding, and I think that if you're on the fence about Lynch as a director or as a personality, based on uh, you know past works you might have engaged with or not, and they haven't worked for you for one reason or another, this is a great film to to break that ice again. Yeah. Um, I think the general story on its face, like if you were to say that, you know, let's ignore the fact that this was a true story and let's ignore the fact that Farnsworth was at this point in his life that really reflected what the character is going through. If you just said this story or this film is an old, is about an old man who rides a lawnmower across the country to meet his ailing brother. That alone, I think, carries some of the story quirks that we associate with lynch yep but the execution here is so for me very dramatically different from how he's approached uh other works and other materials so yeah just outstanding so it's a nine out of ten
1: that's awesome i'm really glad you dug it as much as i did um it's just i hope people understand you know I don't understand. That sounds snide, but I hope people approach it with like. I I hope they take a right approach because it isn't like I said. It's a very honest, simple film, but I think there's something more profound being said and and touching on in terms of life and and human connection, right? I think there's something really powerful there that's simple, but that Lynch and company go for and, and and hit. Right. So, yeah, very cool, man. Very cool.
0: Yeah. Thanks for picking
1: this one. This was fantastic. No, my pleasure, man. I'm glad we both enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, We got one more in the can for No Murder March. And it is uh, back to you, my friend. And I have not seen this film, so I'd love for you to tell everyone what we're covering next week. Sure thing. My pleasure.
0: Uh, So next week, we are going back to the 1970s. Uh, This is one by, I guess, Eleanor and Frank Perry, in a way. right? They worked together. They collaborated. Um, But Frank directed. uh, And this is 1970s Diary of a Mad Housewife. So we are getting down with Carrie Snodgrass and Frank Langella, among others. And I'm looking forward to it
1: my never seen it uh, always wanted to perry's a guy i've seen you know some stuff mm-hmm. even been on the show before of course um but i uh, love the ch- i welcome the chance to talk about uh him and uh, this film this is gonna be he's super cool man he hasn't been around in many a moon on our show since the swimmer so that's right very cool man very cool all right that is the big show And, of course, uh, as always, there's one thing left to say. Adios. Adios.
0: Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. And you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com.